Um, I have had the privilege of sharing the pulpit the last two Sundays uh, with Pastor Nick and a guest speaker two Sundays ago, and so it feels good to be back up here. It's funny how it's, it's a mix. It, there's still part of my flesh that always gets scared to be in front of people. They say that's the number one fear, right, is, is speaking public speaking. And so there's still part of my flesh that doesn't feel comfortable here, but there's part of my spirit that knows I've been called to this. And so my spirit is like, oh, I get to preach again. And so I'm excited to be here this morning. Hopefully you are excited to hear a good word from the Lord. Um, And so this morning we, oh, actually before I jump into that, um, I want to remind you that next Sunday we are springing forward. Does anyone know what that means? In the fall, we fall back. We set our clocks, right? We still live in California where we still do this. I'm envious of some other states that have gotten rid of that idea. Uh, I, would, I would vote for that. Um, but uh, we are going to be springing forward. So that means some of y'all are not going to show up late next Sunday, right? You're going to put your clocks forward, and you're willing to lose an hour of sleep to be at church. What better thing to lose sleep for than to come to church? Uh, so I just want to remind you of that. Um, so set your clocks for next Sunday. I'll see you bright and early. Um, but this morning, the title of this morning's message is Word, Words Create Worlds. Words Create Worlds. And maybe it's a little gimmicky. I've said this before. Maybe you've heard that before. Context, we know that God, in the beginning, right, he spoke this world into existence, right? By his spoken word, he made things happen. Let there be light, and there was light, right? All these things. And we are created in the image of God. And Proverbs talks about how our words right? Power of life and death is in the tongue. That we create life. We can speak life into existence. We can speak death. We can bless. We can curse. Um, There's a lot of power in our words, right? You know, the kids, right? Uh, Sticks and stones may break my bones, right? But words will never hurt me. That's not a true statement, is it? I know I've been hurt by people's words before. And I know for a fact, I've been responsible for the words that came out of my mouth hurting people. I've had to repent of that. And so I want to talk about this morning, this idea of our words, the power of our words. James talks about, right, the power of our tongue, right? It talks about how it can be like a little rudder of a big, huge ship. And what that mouth says dictates where that ship is going to go. The words that come out of your mouth create the world you live in. Words create worlds. What you say actually changes the atmosphere, actually creates, or the the bed you lie in, right? Those things, right? You create the bed you lie in. And a lot of that comes with the power of your words. And I feel like this is a subject I've talked about before. I've talked about a lot of, sometimes when I'm preparing a message, this is my inner dialogue with God. God, we've done that one before. Like, come on, let's go on to the next one. And God's like, yeah, but you didn't get it. So we're going to go back to it, right? And so that's the idea. We know anyone that's a teacher, you know that repetition is basically the the basis for all learning. You want to learn how to play the piano? You got to practice over and over and over again. It doesn't come from one time, right? You've heard me say this multiple times, um, um, that you should never have to repeat yourself. I'll say it again. You should never have to repeat yourself, right? The idea is repetition is just part of how we learn things. And I feel like there's this subject of the power of our words. I've talked about it before. The subject I'm going to kind of dial in with power of words is this idea of hope. You heard Jen praying about hope, that our missionaries in Spain, they need to inspire hope for the community that's around them. And you've heard me share before that I feel this mantle of hope has been put on me. I didn't choose it. God chose it for me. And I feel like hope, I talk about hope all the time, God. And so he's like, yes, talk about it again 
until it actually creates the world we live in. Until this church is abounding with hope in every situation, you're going to keep hearing a sermon about hope, right? Until our world here becomes, I, I, we've, we've declared this is a depression-free zone. That when people come into this sanctuary, come onto our property, that we are so filled with hope that someone who doesn't have any, they come in here like, whoa, what just happened? All that depression and discouragement just left my body. How did that happen? Because we created a world here where it doesn't exist. Where depression and discouragement has nothing to hold on to. All that demonic strongholds, they lose their power. We just talk about the blood of Jesus, right? There's power in the blood. There's power in our words. There's power in a world that we create. I've heard it said before that a small key opens a big door. Sometimes it's that small idea, this idea of words that come out of our mouth. We've heard it before, but getting a hold of that key, getting, knowing how to use that key, it will unlock some big things in our lives. Or actually, it can lock some big problems in our lives. Where we are living in a world of discouragement, we can lock that discouragement up and say, I'm not going to listen to that anymore. And sometimes it comes, right? Faith comes by hearing and hearing by the word of God. My faith actually only is increased by hearing words. I have to speak things into existence. I have to tell myself, I'm getting a little ahead of myself in my message, but scripture says this. Oh man, I, somewhere in my notes, I got like too many pages of notes. I'm not even gonna try to find it. I think it's Joel, but it's in there somewhere. Um, where it says, let the weak say I am strong. Yeah. Right? I remember singing that song in this church as a kid. And now let the weak say I am strong. Right? Let the poor say I am rich because of what the Lord has done for us. Right? Give thanks. This idea, now let the weak say I am strong. Meaning, I am in a current situation where I feel hopeless. I feel like I have no strength. I look at my circumstances and they all dictate that I should have no hope. And in the middle of that situation, that time, now, I'm going to say I am strong. Amen. And it seems foreign because I don't feel it. I'm not thinking those thoughts. But God's word has to take authority over my emotions. I, I can't take situations and take God's word and say, well, situation is saying this and God's word is saying this, so I'll dumb down God's word to fit my situation. That's not how it works. I have a situation that's saying this and I have God's word that says this. This doesn't make sense. And this makes sense. So somehow I'm going to have to put the situation under God's word and say something that doesn't make sense. I'm going to say God's word because I want it to have more authority in my life than my emotions or my thought life. So I'm not going to live life based off thoughts that come in my head, based off emotions that come into my heart. I'm going to live life by the word of God. And his word says to do things I don't feel like doing. If you've never had God tell you to do something you don't feel like doing, I question your salvation. Because that is how God talks to me all the time. He's telling me to do things I don't feel like doing. Why does he do that? Why does he just let me live life the way I want to live? Because he knows there's a better way of living. He knows his ways are better than my ways. 
His thoughts are higher than my thoughts. He declares it. It says, declares the Lord. My thoughts are better than your thoughts, declares the Lord. So I'm learning to start declaring what he says. Because they're better, they're higher than what my words are. Hmm. One of the things I want to hit is, too often what comes out of my mouth is complaining. I thought, just in my own observation, taking a quick look at my life, like, I don't complain a lot. Like, when I was five years old, I used to complain a lot. But, like, I'm an adult now, so I don't really complain anymore, right? And the Lord's been on this journey just recently, the last couple of weeks, showing me how much I complain. And I'm t- it's one of those things where your spirit is willing, but your flesh is weak, right? My flesh is saying, God, stop. Okay, I get the point. Like, stop. I, I get it. I, I'm a complainer. I get it. But my spirit says, God, keep showing me. Get this thing completely out of me. It's amazing, right? I found myself in the last couple of weeks, the Lord's revealed to me that I complain about other people who complain. <laughs> I'm glad I heard one of my kids laugh. Because I'll hear my kids complain sometimes, and then I start complaining that they're complaining. Right? You've all heard the story. If you're a parent, you know this, right? I can remember taking my kids when they were much little. They're much more mature now. They would not do this now, of course. When they were very little, I took all four of them to Disneyland, right? Paid lots of money to go to Disneyland, right? Lots of time, right? A souvenir. They could all get a souvenir. I already knew that was going to cost me over $100 just for them all to get a souvenir. The food, right? All this money I'm shelling out for them to be in the happiest place on earth. And they found a way not to be happy multiple times all throughout the day, right? Ah, <laughs> oh, their complaining made me complain. Why are you so ungrateful? Why are you so unhappy? I'm complaining about their complaining. And I laugh and we all laugh because there's some funniness to it, but there's also a sobering truth to this. We are all somewhat currently guilty even looking at the political scene right now, I don't care which side you are, Republican, Democrat, whatever, we complain about the other people complaining. I mean, even the, the mandates are being lifted, right? The, the masks and all those things. Those of us that didn't want to wear a mask, we complained about having to wear a mask. And those that wanted to wear a mask and saw someone that wasn't wearing a mask, we complained that they weren't wearing a mask. Right? We always find it's... It's, it's amazing how it always seems reasonable to complain. It seems logical. Like, they are wrong for what they're doing. So I should be pointing that out, and it should bother me. And there's some truth to that, right? God's word even says that we should hate sin. We should hate things that aren't right. That's scriptural. We should hate those things. But somehow, it gets so twisted and perverted where we're not hating sin, we're hating the sinner. And God's word makes it clear that our battle is not against flesh and blood. It's not against our brothers and sisters. It's not against people holding positions that we don't like what their decisions they're making. There is a spiritual host of wickedness. And he doesn't care, I say this often, he doesn't care which side you fall off on, right? You can be right positionally, but your heart is all wrong. 
complaining. Complaining is the language of fear. Going back to my, I'll say, two-year-old, three-year-old, giving all my kids, I had four kids, so if I gave, you know this, if I gave them, three of them an orange popsicle and one of them a red popsicle, they all got popsicles. And they probably all taste exactly the same. But one of them is a different color. I guarantee you, there'll be some complaining. How come I didn't get a red one? See, all of complaining is based out of fear. I didn't get what I deserve. My dad must not like me as much as he likes my sibling. And it seems so easy to make fun of these little five-year-olds complaining about these things. But we are no different at 45 or however, whatever age you are, right? Complaining is the language of fear. We don't think God has our best interests at mind at hand. God, if you really loved me, you wouldn't have done this. You wouldn't have allowed this. So let's look at some scripture. In, in Exodus 17, 7, this is, oh, let's just read it, and then, and then I'll give you the context, right? So Exodus 17, 7, Moses called the name of the place Massa and Meribah because of the contention of the children of Israel and because they tempted the Lord, saying, is the Lord among us or not? This contention, this complaining, this whining. If you read the story of the Israelites, Exodus 17, right? They came out of Egypt, out of slavery. Moses delivered them. God delivered them, right? Go through the Red Sea, pillar of fire at night, pillar of cloud by day. God's making sure they have bread every single morning, falls from heaven. All these miracles are just in the midst of them. They're thirsty. Water comes forth from a rock. That's this story. There's every day, it seems like God is just in there. I mean, physically manifesting. At night, there is a large, it's not just theoretical. In this story, there was this huge pillar of fire. And they would follow the presence of God and it would give them light at night and it would warm them. And then there was a cloud that shaded them so that all the heat in the wilderness didn't bake them and it, it directed them where to go. They had physical, God was among them. They'd seen the Red, the Red Sea split, right? They saw all these huge miracles. And just days later, they're saying, is God really among us? And we, it's so easy for me to look at a five-year-old and say, oh, they're so immature. It's easy for me to read the story and say, oh, these idiots. Of course God's among you. And then I look at my own life. And somehow it's reasonable in my own mind to complain. It's the same God looking at these same people saying, good golly, how much do I have to give you? How many good things have to be surrounded you and you still question me? Hmm. I, I shared a little bit on, on Wednesday and I just kind of I'm giving my kids this analogy. I'm not pointing any one of them out. But even this last week, as I said, one of my kids was doing something and it needed to be disciplined, right? The Lord disciplines those whom he loves. As a dad, it is my job to correct my children. Like, that's what I'm supposed to do. And one of, my ch uh, one of my children was doing something they shouldn't be doing. But my correction came out of frustration, came out of anger. And the words that came out of my mouth, I was bringing shame on my child. 
And I share this because it was vivid to me spiritually. Uh, they're probably trying to figure out. I don't really care if they can figure out what's going on. But it was in the car driving, and I could feel the atmosphere change in the whole car. I created a different world for my family based off of my words. Not because my child did something they shouldn't have done, but because of the words that came out of my mouth. I, I almost, I could feel it spiritually, but it was beyond spiritual. I could feel it emotionally, mentally. It was almost, it was almost tangible like a bad taste in my mouth. I shifted and changed the whole feeling of that car ride. And I could have, in my mind, blamed my child. Well, if they didn't do that, we wouldn't all be in this mess right now. But it was the words. God made it very clear. It was my words. I was the authority in that room, in that world. And my authority with my words, I created the world that we were living in. I had to repent, not just to Jesus, right, but to my own child. And I didn't repent to the rest of my family yet. <laughs> right? But this is what the Lord is getting at. The Lord this morning is trying to be a good father and trying to point out that some of us need to start paying attention to the words coming out of our mouths. He loves us enough to correct us. He loves us enough because he wants our world that we live in, our life, to go well with us. And so this morning, he's, he's bringing some light on a situation that needs some correction. Hmm. Like I said, I, I feel like I've been trying to create culture, this idea of hope and, and all these things. It almost seems, I don't know, too juvenile, too simple, too easy to, I don't know, just to say, stop complaining. But what I love about God's word is he doesn't just say, don't complain. He tells us what to do, right? If I say, what's that old, I don't even know what it is, philosophy, they say, uh, don't think about a pink elephant. Well, then what are you going to do, right, if I say that, right? So I say, don't complain. It doesn't really help you a whole lot. But I love that God's word, he tells us what to do, how to replace complaining, Right? Psalm 34, 1. I don't even know if I have a slide for that. It says, I will bless the Lord at all times. His praise shall continually be in my mouth. It's not possible to praise God genuinely and have complaining come out of your mouth at the same exact time. It's possible to do it in the same day, in the same hour, and I'll tell you, in the same few minutes. I've been there, done that. But if I have His praise continually coming out of my mouth, See, as I said, complaining is the language of fear. Complaining is really based in our understanding of how good God really is. If I really saw how good God was and is and always will be, there's no way I would complain. Even if you're Job... Even if everything has gone wrong, everything possible has gone wrong. I'm telling you, God didn't give Job a pass. All right, enough bad things happened, you can complain, Job. He didn't give him a pass. 
God is sympathetic. God is compassionate. His mercies are new every morning. So it's not that your complaining means that you just completely discommunicate yourself from his, his mercy. No. But there's something about complaining, right? We said it this morning. The Lord, if the Lord inhabits the praises of his people, who inhabits the complaining of his people? Very harsh, and I've said it at the wrong time in a harsh way in my own household. Complaining is devil worship. It's true. But in the midst of one of my children having a hard time with something and me just coldly saying, what? Sounds like you're doing devil worship to me. Not the right time, Ryan. Right? So it's not only the words. That was true. It is true. Complaining is devil worship. That's a true statement. But out of the abundance of the heart, the mouth speaks. It's because I was complaining about my child complaining that I said it that way. And it created a world where not health and prosperity and good correction was coming. In fact, I was fostering more complaining. My, my complaining child, hearing his father complain, is not going to end complaining in our household. I'm just fostering more of it. So there's praise and worship, right? Scripture talks about um, Philippians. Chapter 4, verse 8. All right, I don't want to think bad thoughts. I don't want to have all this negative things. So what should I do? Philippians 4, 8, right? Finally, brethren, whatever things are true, whatever things are noble, whatever things are just, things that are pure, lovely, of good report, any virtue, if there's anything praiseworthy, meditate on these things. So replace them. When I start thinking of things, my children complain. I'm using that as an example, right? It doesn't matter. Fill in the blank with whatever it is. A politician, you really don't like their decisions. Fill in the blank. Your pastor. Whoever it is. Someone that's doing something you don't like. And your brain is going like this. You can replace those thoughts. With whatever is true and noble, good, praiseworthy. And what I love, I've heard this verse a zillion times. I've quoted it to myself a hundred times. More than, right? And somehow I forgot the context of the verses right before and after. And it's really, you, you might know it, the verse right before, Philippians 4, 7, you guys know this, right? Philippians 4, 7 says this, And the peace of God, which surpasses all understanding, will guard your hearts and minds in Christ Jesus. This peace of God that surpasses all understanding will guard your hearts and minds in Christ Jesus. And then verse 9, on the other side, right? And the God of peace will be with you in all things. I don't know about you, but when I am full of peace, that's not when I complain. When I think things aren't right and things aren't fair, that's when I begin to complain. But this idea, you want peace in your life? You want the peace of God to guard your heart and your mind in Christ Jesus? Actually be this guardian that when negative news or these horrible things happen, that the peace of God is actually acting as a guard saying, nope, you don't get to affect my life. The truth is the truth. There is a reality that something bad happened. It doesn't change the, the, the realness of that difficulty. But it's not going to change my joy, my gladness, my peace. There's this peace that rules and reigns in my life. And it comes 
when I fix my mind on good things. So when a negative thing comes to my mind, like, no, I'm not going to keep that thought going. I'm going to replace it with the truth that God is good, that God is going to work together even this difficult thing. He's going to work it for my own benefit. Even if the enemy purposed it, he'll take what the enemy meant for evil and he'll turn it for good. I just have to, and so I'm just being real with you. There's times where it doesn't feel like that. It's just, I have to do it. I was sharing with some uh, leaders this morning that I was actually thanking God this past week that I was going through. So I, ah, I'll scoot back. Let me scoot back a little bit. Normally, my disposition, I tend to be, you know, there's the pessimist, the realist, and the optimist. I say I'm a realist, but reality, in my spirit, I'm an optimist. It's been put on my shoulder, as I said, I, I don't know why I say this so often, because God wants me to say it, I guess, to permeate our culture here, right? That God calls me a champion of hope. That's a name he gave me. After I became the pastor of this church, all right, you stepped into that position, I'm going to give you a new name. You're a champion of hope. So with that, I'm not supposed to be all of y'all's champion all the time. At some point, if that's my name of this church, it's supposed to get on all of us. That all of us are to be these champions of hope. That we carry hope with us. And then other people need it? Ah, I got extra hope. You can have some of mine. Right? And so I'm sharing all that because it might come a little more natural or easy for me to be filled with hope than the average person. It's a gift from God. I didn't deserve it. I didn't earn it. God just graced me with hope. But this last week, there was a day where I just... Man, I could feel it more than other times. Emotionally, spiritually, even physically, I just, I didn't have the joy of the Lord and the peace of God was not ruling and reigning in my heart and mind. I was like, God, this is not who I normally am. And so I pulled out my keys or my things, the, the tools I normally use to fight these things. And so I was blessed, put on worship music, started praising God, started telling him about how good he is and who I am in Christ. And, you know, things, I was declaring the word of God. I was trying to create my world. Like, no, this is who I am. This is who you are, God. And I was saying these things and it wasn't really lifting. I said, God, this is strange. This is not normal for me to feel and think this way. And now the things I normally use, it doesn't take very long and this stuff lifts, but it's not lifting. And so the Lord just kind of, in my conversational prayer, it wasn't this audible voice of God, but in conversational with prayer with the Lord, he's like, Ryan, this is good for you right now. You need to experience this because you're forgetting what everyone else is going through. You're forgetting what it used to take. And I was thinking about how I'm not, at least I'm no longer a runner. In high school, I used to run all the time. Run, I could run seven miles, right? And wouldn't have, I wouldn't have been winded. It would have been fine. If you asked me to run full, like no walking a mile right now, I'd be dying like to run a mile because I'm not in shape, right? And so I was thinking about that. For someone who runs a marathon regularly, to run a mile, they're like, piece of cake. Not a hard thing at all. For me, oh my gosh, to run nonstop for a mile, I'd be dying. And I feel like the Lord was saying, Ryan, you're forgetting. You've, you've come, and this might sound arrogant, but I feel like who cares? Because <laughs> I, I, want, I want the truth to be exposed. I've been in a place where I've been running this race for a while where I just choose hope over and over and over again. And so this, when a negative thought comes, it's not hard for me to find the good. I can find the good in anything. But I had forgotten how difficult it is for some people to run that first mile. And so in that day this last week, I was like, 
Thank you, God. I just began to rejoice. God, thank you for giving me a fresh perspective that I can love people well. I don't want to just love you, God. I want to love the church. And I had forgotten how difficult it is. And I might have preached this morning with a little bit of condemnation. Like, come on. And the Lord, in his graciousness, said, I'm going to let you taste again how difficult it is. So I hope this message this morning is not bringing extra shame or guilt. It's to encourage you. It's to inspire you. It's to give you hope, right? But the reality is we've got to rid ourselves of this complaining, of anything negative coming out of our mouths. Hmm. All right, I'm going to find where I'm going to land next. Hold on a second. That's a good one. But we'll leave that for another time. Um... Yeah, we got five minutes. I, I better get to the end here. This last Wednesday was Ash Wednesday, or the beginning of Lent. We are not a Catholic church. We don't observe all the things that the Catholic church does. But if you didn't know, the idea of Lent existed before there was a Catholic church and a Protestant church. So this is something that goes back to our history, our roots, about 300 years after Jesus died. This idea of preparing for Easter. We have Advent, that's preparing for Christmas, and Lent is preparing for Easter. And so it started on Wednesday. But what I didn't know, because I'm not a good Catholic, is that Lent is not 40 days. I always thought Lent was 40 days, because they always call it a 40-day fast. But from Ash Wednesday to Easter is actually 46 days, because they get Sundays off. I didn't know that. Um, So tomorrow, actually would be the beginning of 40 days until Easter. And what I'd love to challenge you is to go on a 40-day fast. And it doesn't mean no food. It doesn't mean maybe no meats. What I'm calling you to, you can make it whatever you want. You can choose the fast you want to do. But here's the one I'm proposing. I'm choosing for myself personally, and I'm inviting you to join me on a negativity fast. And that might sound cute and quaint, it might sound a little gimmicky, like I said. But if you really search your heart, this might be a harder fast than f- soda or sweets, right? Or no food at all. But to really guard your mouth, that I'm not going to let a negative thing come out of my mouth for 40 days. Not one negative thing about another person, about a politician, about... My fellow brother or sister. So really quick, I got a couple minutes here. Let me do this before the, before the worship team comes up. Let me tell you what a negative, negativity fast is not. So I think there's a slide here, a couple things. A negativity fast is not denying that problems exist. Right? Faith doesn't deny the reality of difficulty. It denies its influence. There's difficulty in my life? Yeah, there is. But I'm not going to speak about that difficulty. It's real, right? But I'm not going to promote it and encourage it and bless it, right? It's not being irresponsible or ignoring things that need to be done. I can be guilty of that one. Sometimes there's hard things that go on in my life, and I'm like, well, I'm just not going to think about it, and I just don't think about it. That's not what I'm talking about. Sometimes, as a pastor, I need to address an issue that's not fun. I can't ignore difficult things. But I'm not going to speak to the negativity of it. Is that making sense? It's not giving voice to pessimism, criticism of others, self-criticism, or other forms of unbelief. Like I said, complaining is the language of fear. 
What is fear? Fear is faith. It's faith in the wrong God. So I'm not going to speak of unbelief. I'm not going to speak to the faith in the wrong things. I'm going to speak in my faith in God and his word and what he says. Right? So that's what a negativity fast is not. What is a negativity fast? All right, next slide. It's determining to focus more on God's promises than the problems at hand. You are guaranteed troubles this week, the next 40 days. You're guaranteed to have some problems. But I'm not going to center all my attention and focus on the problem. I'm going to say, God, but what's your promises? Do you know that God has an answer before there's ever a problem? It says that Jesus was the Lamb of God slain before the foundations of the earth. Before sin existed, God already had an answer. Before the problem in your life showed up, God already had an answer. So why are we anxious about anything? He's already got an answer. And we're going to focus on God, on his promises. It's learning to speak with hope in even the toughest, toughest of situations. It's becoming, some of you maybe need to read the, write this down. Because this, these are what you're supposed to be doing this week, next 40 days. It's becoming solution-focused rather than problem-focused. It's speaking about problems to the right people in the right way. So again, it's not ignoring that problems exist, but it's asking God, okay, instead of just talking to everybody and complaining everywhere, letting the whole world know my problems, no, I'm not going to let the whole world know my problems. God, I need some wise counsel on this. Help me find one person to go talk to about this. Or maybe I do need two or three. That's fine, but it's not gossip. It's getting wise counsel. It's replacing negative words and thoughts with positive words and thoughts based on God's promises, the finished work of Christ, and our biblical identity. So if I can have the worship team come on up. I like asking this question at the end of my message. What is the Holy Spirit saying to you? As I'm talking right now, ask the Holy Spirit, God, what are you saying to me? Are you challenging me? To go on a negativity fast. Are you challenging me to, to take on an, an additional fast for 40 days? Are you, what it, I can't believe that you are in this room or join us online and the Holy Spirit doesn't have a word for you. I don't believe that exists. I believe God has a word for every single one of us. Are we going to steward it? Are we going to hear it? Do we have ears to hear what the Spirit has to say? And are we going to be doers of the word? So, if you could, maybe just take a quick second, close your eyes and ask, Holy Spirit, what are you saying to me? We sang already that you're my king, that you're my Lord, that I follow you, that I want to be shaped by you, that you can change me, that you can pull me, that you can make me into something new. So God, I, I yield and submit to your words of truth this morning. I do. I want to live real life. I want to go through real problems, but with real hope with real joy, with real peace that surpasses, does not make sense that somehow I have peace that this same problem that's come up over and over again, God, I'm going to live in your peace. It's not going to derail me. It's not going to discourage me. I can actually have joy in the midst of trials that I can consider it all joy. So God, I thank you for your word this morning. I thank you that I not only heard your word, but I purpose in my heart to voice your word, to speak your word. 
Your word says, let the weak say I am strong. Your word says, I am the righteousness of God in Christ Jesus. Your word says, I am more than a conqueror. Your word says that I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. Your word says that you think good thoughts towards me, not to harm me, not for my calamity, but to bless me, to prosper me. God, I want to remind myself of your words. Your words, they create the world I live in. Not what other people say, not what my flesh says, not what the news media says. God, what you say has the authority to create my world. And I receive the correction that my words in partnership, God, have authority. My words have power. My words, they make covenant. They agree. They partner either with you or with a lie from the enemy. And I choose this day to recognize the power of my words. I will learn to bridle it, to rein it in. And I will use it for your glory. So we thank you, God, for this morning's message. Continue to correct me, but now, Holy Spirit, empower me to do what I could not do on my own. The enemy comes to steal, kill, and destroy, but you have come to give me life that I might have it abundantly. I am alive, as we said already. I am alive in Christ. I am fully alive in Jesus' name. Amen. Would you stand as we sing one last song? If you need prayer for anything, we'll have some leaders up front just to pray with you about anything. Otherwise, enjoy this last song.